Welcome to Kevin Connors Podcast. This series is on the Tabernacle of Moses, which is the topic of one of the first books that Kevin Connor wrote about. Visit kevinconnor.org for more details. All right, Brother Richard's going to open in prayer, so let's all bow our heads in prayer as uh, Richard prays. This, this is a very good night to start. The Tabernacle of Moses, nobody can tell it like Kevin. I've heard it 40 times, <laughs> and I still don't know all about it. <laughs> Our Father and our God, we come to you tonight in the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the years that Kevin has been studying. We thank you, Lord, for that gift of God that's been given to him. And we ask you, Lord, as we get back into the Old Testament and see how the new is revealed, we ask you, Lord, for the blessing to be upon him, but a blessing to be upon the people. Mm. We ask you, Lord, there be an outpouring of his spirit that we might have an understanding Thank of you what Lord. you are doing today mm. and throughout the, all the Old Testament as well as the new. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Amen. Everybody said amen. All right, you may be seated. Uh, Richard and I have a little bit of a funny between us. Uh, Richard says he's a better teacher than I am. And uh, people ask him why. He said, well, I taught Kevin all I knew in five minutes. It's taken him 40 years to explain it. (laughs) So congratulations, Richard, for helping a feeble man here. All right, we'd like to welcome everybody. Let's uh, keep in the center aisles here or the center rows here. Uh, if possible, uh, keep up uh, close to the front. So we'd like to welcome everybody to uh, uh, this term. We only have four Sundays, so we're going to move uh, right into it. So uh, just go to your notes here, just to the, uh, just the course description a little bit here, and I'll just draw your attention, I think, yes. Uh, yeah, I'm there. All right, so uh, uh, Dalgit gave the term winning in life. It wasn't just quite me. That was quite Dalgit, so we'll let Dalgit on on that one. So what I'm going to talk about is the Christian life illustrated in the Tabernacle of Moses. All right, so number one, you've got the term dates. We've only got four Sundays. Uh, session one, we'll have about 55, 50, 55 minutes there. A few minutes break, and then session two, so we're finished uh, right on dot 7.30. So you've got the four, your four Sundays there, and... Uh, I've got to give this little warning here. If you snuck in from any other live track, I could get into trouble. I could be excommunicated. So if you haven't done the four tracks, you're not supposed to be here. So I don't know you're here, okay? I don't know you. All right. Under number two, we've got our course description, uh, Lessons in Christian Living from the Tabernacle of Moses. Come back to that in due time. Number three, recommended textbook. Uh, the course sessions are really a brief uh, adaptation of and based upon the textbook I did many, many years ago on the Tabernacle of Moses. And that's available in the bookshop if you'd like to get a full, uh, full exposition. We're only going to touch on the high spots in the uh, several Sundays we have together. And then I'd like to recommend everybody in a number four here that uh, you read Exodus chapter 25 through to 40. Uh, just read those chapters at least as a basic foundation for the course sessions of the sessions are based on these chapters. And so make sure you bring your Bible along and pencil paper for additional notes. And then the instructor is myself and uh, I'll be basing the, the textbooks all uh, b- uh, based on KJV or the new KJV uh, scripture translations. There was no, uh, not too many other translations out at the time. All right, now let's go to sheet one on your, on your notes that you've got tonight. And I hope you'll be as excited about this uh, subject as uh, I have been over many years. 
and uh, there's uh, a, lot, a lot of years gone by that we haven't taught on this. All right, so session number one, our introduction. The tabernacle of Moses, God's first dwelling place in earth, is a very neglected subject, yet it has rich, untold riches of truth in its symbolism. There are a number of reasons why preachers and teachers as well as believers neglect this great subject. Major reason appears to be an underlying attitude towards the Old Testament as a whole. And uh, I, I must uh, be honest with you, sometimes I get a little bit uh, pipped, is that a good word? Peeved, uh, particularly when I hear, uh, pardon me, <clears throat> hear different preachers come along and say, oh, Tabernacle of Moses and the Old Testament, uh, that, that was all nailed to the cross. We don't need to be bothered with any of that. And uh, sometimes people say to me, Kevin, I, I'm a New Testament man. I say to them, well, what would you do if you'd been in the early church? They had no New Testament. <clears throat> and uh, how many know that when they say that, I'm a New Testament man, you're an Old Testament man, it sounds very spiritual, but how many know it's really dumb? Don't tell them I said that, but it is dumb because uh, uh, some of the old sayings, uh, if you can sort of remember this, it's good. Uh, someone, uh, one of the early church fathers sort of put it this way concerning the Old and New Testament. The new is in the old contained and the old is in the new explained. The new is in the old enfolded, the old is in the new unfolded. The, uh, the new is in the old concealed, and the old is in the new revealed, and one other one here that I made up. The new is in the old conceived, and the old is in the new believed. Would everybody say that after me now? All right. So it's impossible to understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. So I don't say I'm an Old Testament man or I'm a New Testament man. I am a Bible man. How many can say amen tonight? So we are Bible people, and that's, that's it. So... Uh, uh, so as I say to them, well, the early church had no New Testament, what would you have done then? So it's really uh, a little bit of ignorance on their part or because they don't understand the Old Testament. So uh, we need both. We need the whole Bible. So back to our note here. So the major reason appears to be underlying attitude toward the Old Testament as a whole. Many speak of the Old Testament as being abolished at the cross, thus making its contents irrelevant in our day or for believers in the New Testament church era. For many, the Old Testament has become dull and uninteresting and totally irrelevant for this generation. Well, we don't believe that. Can you say amen tonight? Uh, we find that the New Testament was really not uh, completed till about AD 96, and uh, uh, the New Testament books, 27 of them, were sort of written over about 60 plus years, and so they're constantly appealing to the Old Testament for what God was doing in their midst. So we have to keep that in mind. All right, now what I want to spend in our first session, uh, sort of introductory here, uh, we want to note 12 major reasons for studying the Christian life as illustrated in the Tabernacle of Moses. So we're going to work through the scriptures. Hope you've got your Bible. Uh, just put down one other scripture you've got on the... Uh, on, the other, on your outline there, but put down Acts chapter 7 and verse 38. Acts 7 verse 38. And Stephen, in his uh, defense before the Sanhedrin, he refers to the Old Testament nation of Israel as the church in the wilderness, or some of the translations have the congregation, but the Greek word there is ecclesia, or the church, from which, which we get the word ecclesia, upon this rock I'll build my church. So Israel is the church in the wilderness. So put down in conjunction with that, Acts chapter 7 and verse 38. 
All right, now I want you to bear with me tonight in our first session here before we start in the tabernacle of Moses proper. I want to work through at least 12 scriptures that we've got here. And if people came to you and said, well, Kevin, you know, or, or anybody, why do you waste time on the Old Testament tabernacle of Moses? That's irrelevant for today and so forth. Well, we're going to refute that tonight with 12 major reasons. So let's turn to number one. So we study the Old Testament because 2 Thessalonians, and I'd like to encourage you as always, put down at least a a little bit of the verse of Scripture, the uh, basic uh, uh, information that's in the verse. 2 Timothy and chapter 3 and verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and uh, verse 16. And Paul, in writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, he says, All Scripture, everybody say, All Scripture. So all scripture, not some scriptures. Uh, Some of the translations are coming out today. I get a little bit frightened of because some of them say every scripture which is inspired of God. No, every scripture, if it's, if it's not all scripture, then you say every scripture, then it just gets into, well, uh, which ones? And it leaves, uh, leaves it to man's uh, uneducated mentality to try and pick out which was inspired. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm for all scripture. So everybody say all scripture. So all scripture is given by inspiration of God. The word inspiration is, is actually God breathed. We think of expire. What does it mean to expire? <laughs> Breathe out. Okay, what, what does it mean to perspire? No, sweat it out. Uh, but inspire is to breathe in. So the scriptures were God breathed. God breathed. Uh, into the prophets and the writers of Scripture, and uh, as God breathed in, they breathed out the Scriptures. So all Scripture is given by inspiration, God breathed, uh, inspiration of God, and is profitable for four things. Number one, doctrine or teaching. Number two, for reproof. Number three, for correction. Number four, for instruction in righteousness. What for? That the man of God and the woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So four reasons uh, why Scripture, all Scripture is given by inspiration. So when we go back to the Tabernacle of Moses, uh, which is our theme for this uh, term here, we need to realize it's part of the all Scripture that was given by inspiration of God. So when I hear preachers knocking these things, say, hey, you're knocking something that was inspired by God. Okay, so number one, uh, we study the Old Testament because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for four things, doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction. We're going to find that as we work through the uh, major areas of the tabernacle of Moses. All right, number two, second reason, and uh, just correct uh, uh, your Scripture here. We study the Old Testament because Romans 15, verse 4. Romans 15, verse 4, not 14. My computer is not converted yet. So Romans 15 and verse 4. And uh, here it says, reading from New Authorized here, For whatever things were written before, so whatever, so the Old Testament and uh, what we're particularly looking at, Tabernacle of Moses, part of that whatever. So for whatever things were written before, uh, for time or written before, were written for... Our what? Learning. So I trust you're going to learn something over these uh, four Sundays together. Whatever was written before time, whatever things were written before, were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. 
So written for our learning and to give us a hope and give us comfort. Can we say amen on that wonderful scripture? All right, number three, the third reason we study the Old Testament is because 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, And uh, we'll just read a few verses here, particularly verse 6 and, uh, and 11. And what Paul does here, uh, in, in this passage actually he covers chapter after chapter from the Old Testament, uh, from the nation of Israel and their experience. So let's go from verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware or do not want you to be ignorant that all our fathers were under the cloud. Where did you get that from, Paul? Book of Exodus, Kevin. All passed through the sea. Where would you get that from, Paul? Exodus. Oh, okay. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. Where would you get that from? Exodus chapter 14, 15, 16. Oh, okay. And uh, all ate the same spiritual food, the manna. Oh, Exodus chapter 16. And all drank of the same spiritual drink. Oh, where would you get that from? Exodus 17. Kevin, read your Bible. <laughs> you see, Paul is just giving sort of one interpretive verse Chapter after chapter of the Old Testament, in, in those few verses there, he's covered Exodus um, chapter uh, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. At least five chapters he's covered in just one interpretive statement here. So when people say, now, if you don't understand a bit of the Old Testament, well, what are you talking about, Paul? But, uh, verse, verse 4, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was anointed. That rock was Christ. For with most of them God was not well pleased, uh, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things, here it is, verse 6, these things became our examples. Greek word for example is tupos, from which we get the word type. So these things became types to us. Now, they were not types to them. I mean, you know, as they're passing through the Red Sea and plucking fish out of each side of the Red Sea, they didn't say, isn't this a wonderful type we're passing through? It wasn't a type to them. You know, when David went out to fight Goliath, the giant, he didn't say, oh, you're just a wonderful type. <laughs> he was a real giant. But these things become examples and types to us and are written for our admonition. So these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And uh, we better go down to verse 11. Uh, as he, so he goes through like uh, in chapter 7, he goes, the book of Numbers, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Uh, uh, verse 8, don't commit fornication, some of them committed. Uh, where would you get that from Paul? Book of Numbers. See, he's moved from Exodus to Numbers. Don't let us tempt Christ as some of them tempted Christ and we destroyed the servant. Where would you get that from Paul? Numbers, Kevin. I've done Exodus, now I'm doing the book of Numbers. Don't murmur as some of them. Where would you get that from Paul? Book of Numbers. So the New Testament writers are constantly appealing to the Old Testament as illustrations to help us in our Christian war. All right, so uh, verse 11. Now all these things, and last time I studied the word, Greek word for all, all simply means all, and that's all it all means. Everybody agree with that? Now all these things happen unto them for in samples, types, examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So we're going to be admonished by the things we learn. We're going to learn. And uh, just another uh, valid reason why we look at the Old Testament. All right, let's go to number four. The, uh, we study the Old Testament number four because, and let's turn over to Luke chapter 24. And this is uh, uh, one, of the, uh, one of my favorite scriptures. Everybody doing okay there? Now remember, this is an advanced course. So you're not here for a milkshake. 
Okay, uh, because I'm talking to a very intelligent congregation. Very good over here, very sick over here. I'm talking to a very intelligent congregation. Uh, that, that's, you're improving as you get better. All right, just a whole little message in itself would take an hour, but uh, enough to give you an outline. The disciples from verse 17, uh, or verse 13, pardon me, two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they're pretty sad because of what's happened in the last several days. And so as they're walking along there in verse 15, while they commune together, uh, the, uh, conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So Jesus is right with them. They don't even recognize his presence. Somehow he's able to disguise himself. Uh, but verse 16, I want you to pick up. But their eyes were holding all, uh, New King James says, their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him, did not recognize him. So we asked them, well, what are you talking about? Why are you so sad? Uh, what are you talking about? And they said, look, are you a stranger in Jerusalem? Don't you know what's happened in the last several days? And uh, Jesus knew what had happened in the last several days. He'd been through it, three days and three nights of it. But he said, well, what things? Just, you know, pleading uh, uh, innocence, not ignorance. So they said the things concerning the uh, Jesus of Nazareth, a, a prophet mighty in deed and word, and how the chief priests, the rulers, condemned him to death, crucified him, and uh, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. And this is the third day since these things happened. And yes, and certain women, all the women said hallelujah. You see... You know, Paul and the writers of the New Testament are not male chauvinists. Women were last at the cross, and they were first at the tomb. Where were the big, brave apostles? Have you ever thought of that? No, women, don't let it go to your head, but uh, <laughs> women were first witnesses of the resurrection, not the apostles. They were the last at the cross and saw the last events of the cross. Praise God for godly women. More, more, more. All right, now, go down to verse uh, 27 or verse 25. He said, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And verse 27 I love very much. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets. So Moses. So we're going to go back to Moses. Beginning at Moses who wrote the first five books of the Bible, and all the prophets, he expounded. And the Greek word expounded there is where we get that big word hermeneuo or hermeneutics. He, uh, it actually means he expounded, explained, and interpreted in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. How many would like to, like to have had that on CD? Oh, very good over here. <laughs> How many would like that on tape then if you can't play CDs? All right, so he expounded into them. So, I mean, we have to use our imagination here that as Jesus goes back to the prophets and begins with Moses. Look, when Moses talked about the Passover lamb, that was pointing to the Christ. When he's talking about the tabernacle, the great day of atonement, when Aaron went within the holy place, the most holy place on the day, that was pointing to the Christ. And when he spoke about the ashes of the red heifer and the five offerings, that was talking about the Christ. And what's the result? Oh, if you haven't already marked your Bible on this, because as I said, it's a favorite of mine. Note the use of the word open, and it's used three times. Whole message in itself, but I encourage you to circle if you haven't already done. All right, so they draw near to the village. He indicated he was going to go on further. They constrained him, say, you know, abide with us. It's toward evening and the day is far spent. So in verse 30, it came to pass, <clears throat> pardon me, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread. 
blessed and broke it and gave it. I like that. He took it, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it, as only he could. Hallelujah. Now, number one, verse 31, and their eyes were opened. So number one, let's all say together, opened eyes. Now, contrast it with verse 16. Their eyes were restrained. They didn't recognize him. Suddenly at the communion service, as he took it and blessed it and broke it and gave it, that's Jesus. Their eyes were open, number one. Verse 32, the next use of the word open. And they said uh, to one another, did not our heart burn? I like to play on that heart burn. How many have got heart burn tonight and don't want to be healed? Okay, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way uh, on the road? And number two, while he opened the scriptures to us. <clears throat> so number one is opened eyes. Number two, open scriptures. And, and listen, every, every one of us recognizes that, you know, the Bible is a sealed book. Unless the Lamb comes and breaks the seals. We just don't get it. You can read the Bible. How many have experienced things like this that you're reading and all of a sudden you say, wow, I've never seen that there. It's been there for 2,000 years. How many have experienced something like that? And you go and shout to somebody and say, look at this. Have you ever seen that before? Well, I don't see that. Well, turn the Bible upside down. Get 26 translations. Get the non-inspired... Uh, no, no. Uh, uh, get the message. Get something. Unless the Lord opens, we just don't, we don't get it. So number one, open eyes. Number two, open scriptures. And then the key to the whole thing is in verse 44, 45. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written. And notice this is Christ's own threefold division of the Old Testament. Not mine, this is Christ's. Number one, the law of Moses. So we're going back to the tabernacle of Moses. Look at that part of the law, the law of Moses. Number two, and the prophets. And number three, the Psalms concerning me. I mean, we put it in our, our, uh, the way our translations are organized, the law, the Psalms, and the prophets. But this is Christ's own threefold division, the law, the Psalms, and the prophets. And then number three, the third use of the word open is verse 45. It's like the key to it. And he opened their understanding that they might understand, that they might comprehend the Scriptures. So three things there. Number one, opened eyes. Number two, open Scriptures. And number three, open understanding. How many would like to pray that prayer? And that's why I pray that over our four Sundays together, that our eyes will be opened, and our, uh, the Scriptures will be opened to you, and our understanding will be open. How many will say amen on that? So just that opening, just that opening. Otherwise, as I said, it's a sealed book. So if you like to put that down, uh, down under number four. So Lord has to open our eyes, open the scriptures, and open our understanding. So uh, this is, as I said, a neglected area. People say it's boring, it's irrelevant, it's not for today, it's Old Testament stuff. Old Testament was nailed to the cross. Uh, uh, that's not quite so. All right, let's move on quickly as time does. All right, we study the Old Testament number five because... John chapter 5, John chapter 5, John chapter 5, and uh, just put down a, 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 another scripture on your notes there, uh, just put uh, verse 39 also, John 5 verse 39. 
think I might have a wrong scripture. No, that's right. Okay, Jesus talking, so he says, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. So what's Jesus tell us to do there? Search the scriptures. So we're going to be searching the scriptures. Why? Because they testify of Christ. Uh, let me just get you a little trick here. How many believe you do have life in the scriptures? Hands up. How many don't believe you have life in the scriptures? Hands up. How many haven't got a hand? Hands up. Okay, now those of you, of you who put your hands up, you don't have life in the scriptures. Let's read it properly. Verse 39, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and these are they which testify of me. But you're not willing to come to me that you might have life. See, life is not in the scriptures but in the one who the scriptures pointed to. Everybody get it? So life, you see, they worship the Bible. They were bibliolatrists. Is that a word? Anyway, I just made it up. They worshipped the scripture and crucified Christ with a Bible under their arm. So he said, search the scriptures and then you think you've got eternal life. They are they which testify me, but you will not come to me that you might have life. The life is not in reading just the word, though there is life in that. We'll qualify that. But life is in, you see, the written word is to bring us to him who is the living word. That's it. Life is in the living word. Can we say amen again? All right. You will not come to me that you might have life. And then go down to verse uh, uh, 45 and 46. Do not think that I, will, uh, I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? That's awesome scripture. So do not think I'm going to accuse you. And uh, just uh, for those a little bit more studious, I believe Moses will come back again and he will accuse them because they don't believe on Jesus. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me because he wrote of me. Where did he write of Jesus? Number of places. For if you do not believe his writings, how you will believe my words. So that's another reason why we study Tabernacle of Moses and uh, things that Moses wrote. He wrote of Christ in the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, in those five books. All right, number six. The sixth reason we study the Old Testament, and particularly this area we're looking at, is Hebrews chapter 7. Uh, Hebrews 10, sorry, yeah, Hebrews 10. I'm glad someone's reading my notes. Okay, Hebrews chapter 10. And uh, this is a quotation from Psalm 40. So Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 7. On number 5, I didn't read the Acts 3 one, but it's, uh, it's, it's confirming again that Moses and the prophets wrote about Christ. All right, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 7. Uh, I'll read from verse 5 to lead into it. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come, and here it is, in the volume of the book, it is written of me 
Then, then, then I said, behold, I've come to do your will, O God, in the volume of the book. So why do we study the Old Testament? Because in the volume of the book, 66 books, it's a Christocentric book, this is. Christ is the hub of uh, divine revelation. So in the volume of the book, it's written of, of me. So, uh, yes, Christocentric principle ahead on my notes. Christ is in all the books of the Bible. It's a whole study in itself. All right, uh, number seven. Another reason that we study the Old Testament is because of Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24. How many think these are good scriptures? Thank you for that underwhelming response, as the senior minister says. Uh, okay, uh, Galatians chapter 3, very, very wonderful verse. I'll read it from Old Authorized and New Authorized. He says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. So when we're going back to the law, particularly this area of the tabernacle of Moses, we're going back to the schoolmaster, and the schoolmaster brings us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. A new authorized says, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Let me just uh, qualify something here. Uh, when it talks about a schoolmaster, don't, don't sort of think Western. We think of the schoolmaster, uh, principal of, uh, of our college and so forth. It's not talking about that. The schoolmaster's job in, in Greek time was this, to train the child and bring the child up, feed it, dress it and wash it, clothe it and so forth. And then when the child came of age, then the schoolmaster or the guardian was to bring this child to the teacher. And it was the teacher who would uh, teach that child uh, the ways of the Lord. So don't think uh, a Western type. So the, school, the Lord was a schoolmaster, a guardian a trainer to bring us to the teacher who is Christ. And that's why Jesus often said in the Gospel of Matthew, you've heard of old time, it has been said by Moses, don't do this. But I say, how dare he change the law? But you see, the law was a schoolmaster, a guardian to bring us to Christ. So we go back to see what the schoolmaster and see how he brings us to Christ. All right, number eight. Number eight, the eighth reason we uh, study the Old Testament and particularly uh, the theme that we're on, uh, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and we'll read verses uh, 17 and 18. Matthew 5, verse 17 and 18. And these are the words of Jesus. So Matthew 5, verse 17 and 18. He says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill, bring them to their fullness. For assuredly I say unto you, until heaven and earth pass away, is the heaven still with us? Earth still with us? All right, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle. And when it's referring to juts and tittles of the Hebrew alphabet and just the smallest ornamental hook, doesn't matter, the smallest little uh, jot and tittle of the, uh, of the Hebrew uh, scriptures, he said, not one jot or tittle will pass, by, by no means pass from the law until all be fulfilled. And I know when I was younger, um, I, uh, I was sharing this somewhere just in the conference recently, um, I, I, I used to think the Old Testament was so boring, the prophets, and particularly the book of Le Leviticus. Did anybody is honest enough, apart from me, to admit that? All the rest of you liars, uh, come on. 
Uh, I remember one time when I was a senior minister here, I uh, asked everybody to read the Bible through the, in the year and promised everybody a chocolate at the end of the year. Do you remember that? cost me $667 in chocolates that year. I only did it twice, first and last time. And uh, one of the elders, I won't, just out of courtesy, I won't mention his name um, in case he's here tonight. Uh, yeah. uh, he said, oh, Kevin, you don't expect the children to read uh, the Bible, you know, book of Leviticus, that's so boring. I said, well, if they read the Old Testament, he said, they just don't understand it. And, and I wasn't as sharp then as I think I am now. But eventually I got thinking about that and I, I said to myself, you know, if you wait till you understand the Bible before you read it, you'll never read it. Is that a good statement? And if you want to put this down, this is well worth putting down. Reading precedes understanding. So if you wait till you read the Bible before you re- uh, understand, you'll never read it. When I was in the Air Force, just six months before the war finished, no thanks to me, I I was confined to barracks. I read the Bible through in three days. Didn't understand a thing, hardly. But I read it. It gave me a knowledge of it. So read the word, read the word. Reading precedes understanding. Everybody said amen. All right, so read the word. Get the word into you. All right, so heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Uh, not one jot or tittle. So all those, uh, you know, to us boring details of Leviticus and Exodus, think, oh, what did God, and uh, I've heard preachers sort of say this, well, God gave them the tabernacle of Moses and all those offerings and the bells and spells, incense and nonsense. He gave them all that stuff just to amuse them in the wilderness for 40 years till they all dropped dead. (laughs) Well, I don't believe that. In the volume of the book, it is written of Christ. So we are going to see Christ in the the areas we cover. All right, number nine. Look at this wonderful scripture, and a scripture we so easy pass over. Uh, Matthew, number nine, Matthew chapter 11 and verse 13. Matthew 11 and verse 13. And it's amazing how we're all guilty of this. We sort of surf the net, we surface read the scriptures, and just miss those little, little words that are important. All right, so uh, Matthew 11, verse 13. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Uh, Just hold that and go over to the corresponding scripture, which is not on your notes, but put it down, uh, Luke 16, 16. Uh, So just with that, Luke 16, 16. Luke just confirms the same thing, just adds another another, uh, thought here. So Luke 16, 16, and Jesus said, The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presses into it. And it is easy for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. Is it fail or fall? Fail, yeah. So the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom. So Christ's uh, division of time, the law, the prophets, the kingdom. And so back to, back to what Matthew says. For all the prophets and the law prophesied. Now, we all understand the prophets prophesied. You couldn't be a prophet unless you prophesied. But not the next part. All the prophets and the law prophesied. So when we think of the things under the law... And the law of Moses, chapter after chapter after chapter. We think the prophets prophesied, but not only did the prophets prophesy, the law prophesied. 
prophesied of Christ. So we look at these things also prophetically. All right, let's go to number 10 here. Uh, number 10, our 10th reason why we study the Old Testament. So how many of you have got some good reasons if people say, you're not doing Tabernacle of Moses, are you? That dry stuff. How many think you've got some reasons to tell them? Don't call them ignoramuses, please. All right, Colossians chapter 2. Well, I just want to read these scriptures uh, first of all. So Colossians chapter 2 and verse 17. It's a good way of learning your Bible, okay? Uh, Colossians chapter 2 and... Um, We'll pick up from verse 16 to lead into it. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival, holy day or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body or the substance is of Christ. So everybody say shadow. So a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let's go over to Hebrews, which confirms the uh, same thought, Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8, and pick up in verse uh, 5, or verse 4, we'll again to lead into it. Uh, if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, See, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed uh, when he was about to make the tabernacle, for he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern showed you on the mountain. So copy and shadow of heavenly things, Moses to make everything according to the pattern showed in the mount. Chapter 9 and verse 23 and 24 confirm the same thought. Hebrews 9, all on your, it's all on your notes there, verse 23 and 24. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies or the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves were better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are figures, copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So the earthly tabernacle was a shadow on earth of heavenly realities the heavenly things up there, all right? So a shadow. Let me, let me just uh, illustrate this. So the law was a shadow to bring us to Christ. Uh, the, the, the word shadow, the Greek thought is uh, the law is a shadow, an outline. An outline. I'll just read off my notes here. Prophecy leads to fulfillment. Type leads to anti-type. Shadow leads to substance. And law leads to Christ. Let me say those four things again then. So prophecy leads to fulfillment. Think not, I'm, I'm not come to destroy but to fulfill. So prophecy leads to fulfillment. Type leads to anti-type. If you have a type, you must have the fulfillment. Anti-type over and against the type, fulfilling the type. Shadow leads to substance. If there's a shadow, must be substance. And then the law leads us to Christ. So I like to use it this way, if uh, I'm, I'm standing here, while well, I'm standing here, uh, and a light was shining, the sun was shining here, it would cast my shadow, and so what's the sensible thing? Now, I wonder whose shadow that is. All right, the sensible thing to me, for me to do is sort of begin at the beginning of the shadow and sort of uh, follow the shadow through, and eventually I come to the person whose shadow it is. So the law was a shadow of Christ. 
a shadow of good things to come. So what are we doing or what, what do we do in this? We go to the beginning of the shadow and we start following the shadow through Tabernacle of Moses, the offerings, the priesthood, the Feast of Israel, Day of Atonement, Temple of Solomon, Tabernacle Day. We keep following the shadow through and we eventually come to him whose shadow it was, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's worth a little baby hallelujah. Not too loud, don't get too emotional here. Okay, so it's him. It's to bring us to Christ. So the law was a shadow to bring us to Christ. All right, number 11. Let's go to uh, 11th reason why uh, we study the Old Testament. Romans chapter 2 and verse 20. Romans 2, verse 20. Another one of those beautiful scriptures that we sort of uh, glance over and uh, often miss what's in it. All right, Romans chapter 2 and verse 20. You'll find that Paul in this uh, section here is sort of writing to the Jew, uh, and they would understand it more than the Gentiles do. Uh, go to verse 17 and just pick that thought up. Behold, you, indeed, you were called a Jew, and rest on the law and make your boast in God, and know his will and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are the guide to the blind. Uh, the Jew was the, gu uh, the guide, and the Gentiles were the blind. A light to those who in darkness, the Jew felt he had the light, and the Gentiles were in darkness. An instructor of the foolish, the Jew felt he was the instructor, and the Gentiles were foolish. A teacher of babes, Jew felt he was the teacher because he had the Old Testament scriptures. Babes were just Gentile babes. And now here's the part I want you to note. Having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. Now, the, the word form there, the, the whole Greek thought, should I say, of the word form there, and you might like to put that on your notes, it actually means having the external form. Having, let me read it again, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. Let me explain that a little bit more. So having in the external form, knowledge and truth. So as we go back, which we're going to do, and we'll start in our second session now, as we start, say, looking at the, uh, at the furniture of the tabernacle of Moses, that's all we're going to have time to look at. Uh, as we start looking at, we're going to look at, you know, the form, the external form. And people say, well, what are you wasting time on that? Hey, within the external form, knowledge and truth was hidden. So the reason we go back to the external form is to endeavor to discover the knowledge and truth that was hidden in the external form. Everybody understand what I'm saying here? So we only go back to the external form. So when we go back to the Passover lamb, which most churches do, well, Bible-believing churches, uh, or we go back to the Day of Atonement, as uh, the, the Orthodox Jew does on Yom Kippur, we go back to the external form to try and discover the knowledge and truth. You see, the, 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 the tragedy of all this thing was this, that uh, when Jesus came, when he died on the cross, and uh, I would not like to have been that priest on duty, about 3 p.m. in the afternoon as he's offering the evening sacrifice, all of a sudden, God says, my sacrifice is hanging out there on the cross. And he just tore the veil from top to bottom and said, boys, you're out of a job. How many would like to have been the priest on duty then? He tore the veil. And you see, when Jesus died on the cross, his sacrifice 
ended all sacrifice. The altar of the cross, which we're going to be looking at, was the end to all altars. And so when Jesus died on the cross and the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom, God said, I am finished with external form. The tragedy was, according to history as far as we can gather, the Jews sewed up the veil to hide it from the people and carried on that whole abominable sacrificial system until AD 70 when God allowed the Roman Empire and the Titus and the Roman armies to burn the temple and, and just smash the whole thing to the ground. And let me just say this for those of you maybe new in the church. Don't you buy the teaching that the Jews are going to rebuild a temple and that in the millennium or later on in this age, we're going to go back to offering animal sacrifices. Even if they build a dozen temples, God will never forsake the body and blood of his only begotten son and go back to animal sacrifices, neither in this age or the age to come. Amen? Amen. So just, uh, that's all Schofield stuff. He's dead and knows better now. Um, yeah, thank you, Kevin, for that very good point. I was just thinking out loud there and it slips out. Okay. All right, now, why did I say all that? Yes, so when Jesus died on the cross, he uh, abolished all the external form, but you see, the Jews... Like so many churches today were so bound up in the external form, they carried on the external form until in AD 70, God allowed the Romans to smash the whole system to pieces. Now, why did I say all that? I said that to say this. Though the external form is abolished, the knowledge and the truth that was hidden in the external form remains because knowledge and truth are external. Uh, uh, eternal. The form is external, the knowledge and the truth are eternal. That's worth a little hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we're only going back to the form to try and discover the knowledge and truth that's hidden in the form. We're not wrapped up in the form. But we want to discover the knowledge and truth. And that's what the New Testament writers continually seek to do. Alright, so the external form. Everybody got that? So the Jews sewed up the veil, carried on the external form until AD 70, God uh, smashed the whole thing. They missed and crucified the knowledge and truth that was in it. The external form is temporary and passing, but the knowledge and truth is eternal and remains. All right, number 12. Our last reason, and then uh, we're going to take a break. Everybody doing okay? All right, now, number 12, I'll read this. It is impossible to truly understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. The Bible is one harmonious whole. There's only one author, but some 40 writers. There's not 40 different writers. Not, uh, not 40 different authors. There's one author, but 40 different writers. And so God was able to give to each writer that part of the divine puzzle that he wanted written in this wonderful book. How many appreciate the Word of God more? All right, let's go to our last page here for our last few moments on session one. All right, so in, for example, as I said, it's impossible to understand uh, so much of the New Testament without the Old Testament. Um, so I, I don't know what preachers do and teachers do with this when they read certain parts of the Bible. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 3. And we're not going to read all these passages. I've, I've given enough to you. I want to spend our 
last few moments uh, on the second section there. All right, Hebrews chapter 3 and verses 1 to 6. These are just sample passages. How, how can you understand these things? All right, uh, Hebrews chapter 3 and uh, let's pick up in verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, we're not going to read it all, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, confession, Christ Jesus. High priest, where did you get that thought from? Old Testament. Who is faithful to him who appointed him as Moses, also is faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Moses, who's Moses when he's home? Hey, read the Old Testament. He expounded unto them the things concerning Moses and all the prophets, inasmuch as he who has built the house is more honored than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who has built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterwards. But Christ not as a servant in the house, but as a son over his own house, whose house we are. Hallelujah. How are you going to understand that? Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1, you've got the, got the full passage. Every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifice. You're not going to understand that unless you understand something about priesthood. Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. I'll put down the passage there for you to read between now and the millennium. Verse, uh, verse 1. Now this is the... The, uh, the, this is the main point of the things we're saying. We have such a high priest. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of, of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest, and he goes on and on and on, make according to the pattern. Hebrews chapter 9, what do you do? Verse, uh, verses 1. Then, then, then indeed... Even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary, for a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. How, what does that all mean? I, I don't know unless I go back to the book of Exodus. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer. What are you talking about? And the Ark of the Covenant. Overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had manna, Aaron's rod the butter, tablets of the covenant. Do you even understand what it's about? We can't unless. And verse 5 aggravates me. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. Oh, how disgusting. How many wish Paul, I think he wrote Paul, wrote Hebrews, I wish he was back and had a computer. He could fill in all those details that he couldn't tell us back there. All right, Hebrews chapter 10, uh, same again, verse 1. The law having a shadow of good things to come. Hebrews 13, uh, magnificent book of Hebrews. You're not going to understand it. Verse, Hebrews 13, verse 10. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, are burned without the camp, body and blood. Body burned out the camp, blood bought within the, uh, the, 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 the holiest of all on the Day of Atonement. What's it all about? All right, for our last couple of moments, let's go here. Number two, it would be impossible to understand the book of Revelation without understanding the tabernacle. Now, 
over, over my years, and I've got a lot of years behind me, so uh, you'll understand that. When you go to the uh, book of Revelation, uh, I, put, I put the scriptures there for you, so maybe a little diagram may help, out, help us here. Where are we? Trying to... Uh, This will give you the idea. One of the master keys that most people who, who make jokes about the book of Revelation say, oh, it's impossible to understand, who cares? One of the master keys for understanding the book of Revelation is to understand the tabernacle of Moses. And as you look at this, and I know you can't see it quite well, we're going to try and get the lights out later on. I'll put on something else. But every article of furniture from the tabernacle of Moses except one, every one is specifically mentioned. One is implied. And let me just give you a running idea. I'll put the scriptures there for you. When you open up, and this is not a study on Revelation, but just to just get you thinking. It doesn't hurt to think. Amen? Better on this side than that side. Okay. Uh, Revelation chapter 1 opens up here with the high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, clothed in all his garments, of glory and beauty. Chapter 1. Chapter 2 and 3 opens up with the golden lampstand. Seven lampstands, and he interprets this. For, we'll do that in due time. Which are the seven churches. We don't know what the lampstand means until Jesus tells us. All right, then when we go to chapter 6, in the outer court, there are souls under the altar, and their blood is crying for vengeance. How do you understand it? Unless you've studied these things. Okay. And then, peculiar thing here, we get to what's the equivalent to the brazen labor. It's called the sea of glass. And when you get to Revelation chapter uh, 4, the sea of glass is empty. It's clear as crystal. But when you get to chapter uh, 15, the sea of glass is now full and is mingled with fire. And you'll find that in each of the articles of furniture, there's a company of God's people standing. What are they doing there? That article is referred, reserved for those who come out of the Great Tribulation. I can't take time to explain it, but just showing it's a master key. Then when I get into Revelation chapter 8, I find an angel standing there at the golden altar of incense, receiving the prayers of the saints on the golden censer. And then when I get to Revelation chapter 11 and verse 19, John sees the Ark of the Covenant and the glory of God and the tabernacle of the temple open in heaven. Now, how can you understand these things without understanding the tabernacle of Moses? So when people and preachers particularly make fun of this and say, oh, that's old stuff, See, no wonder you don't understand the book of Revelation. It's a master key. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. Visit kevinconnor.org for more information. God bless.